When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Covering Marvin Harrison, and he gets it up and over, layers it, and Harrison stretches out to make the catch. That's outstanding. This, I'm telling you, this guy, the sky is the limit for Marvin Harrison Jr. I truly believe that this man right here on your screen will be the best receiver in the NFL in about four or five years. What's up, everybody? It is Joel Klatt. This is the Joel Klatt Show. Um, welcome in uh, to a Thursday. We're going to preview some games. It should be a good weekend. I think that there's some good matchups, some interesting lines uh, in this week's matchups, but we're going to get into it. Remember, if you have not downloaded and subscribed to the show, please do so because uh, we really appreciate it, number one. And two, you know, we really think this show is good and you do as well so that's why you're here and uh go down there download it review it rate it all of those different things we got we got a lot of good stuff um i think that this weekend could be an epic weekend and it's it's one week early because there's obviously some great games next week that we're looking at but you look at this one and and there's some there's some teams that are going to go down this week um I'm I'm interested to see which one it was it will be. We have not had a a week this year in college football where an undefeated team hasn't gone down. Now, I think that's going to happen again. We will see. Uh, but I'm going to go through these. Let's see. What do I got? Six games here uh, coming up this weekend uh, that I think that you're going to like. Let's start with where Gus, Jenny, and I will be on Saturday. Number two, Ohio State at number 13, Penn State. All right, so the Nittany Lions got blown out by Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and I wasn't expecting it. You weren't expecting it. I was really surprised with the way that they played. They gave up over 400 yards rushing to Michigan, and I think Michigan's really good, by the way, but I didn't expect that. I didn't expect them to be totally manhandled at the line of scrimmage like they were in that game. This was the fifth-ranked rushing defense in the country going into that game. They were giving up, you know, what, less than 90 yards? And here they are just getting run through by Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. That offensive line was doing an amazing job. Well, that didn't get all that better in their next game. So they go, it's the whiteout game, and they're facing Minnesota. And Minnesota ran the ball pretty effectively on them. Now, not like Michigan did, but again, Minnesota's not Michigan. So now all of a sudden, you've got this, this stark contrast for Penn State in what their first five games of the year was defensively stopping the run and what their last two games have been stopping the run. 
In their first five games, they gave up 79 yards per game. Again, one of the best rush defenses in all of college football. Everyone talking about, hey, P.J. Mustafer, their great defensive tackle. The fact that he's back and healthy is really what makes them a good defense. It can let all that length and athleticism around him flourish. And to a large extent, through the first five games, that was true. Even going down, you know, beating an Auburn team, about the same exact score that Georgia beat that Auburn team. And they were really good. And then they roll into Michigan and get absolutely thumped. And and again, I was shocked that day uh, on how that game played out. It was way more of a blowout than the score indicated. Penn State was not all that close to Michigan. And then last week, they again give up a lot of yards. Now, they beat Minnesota, and I thought that they played well and they played better, but we've still got this stark split. First five games, 79 rushing yards given up. Last two, 291 yards given up per game. So that's going to have to improve. And, And what's interesting about that and why I started right there in this game breakdown is the fact that I have the sense that Ohio State is going to come in with the distinct point, point of emphasis, if you will, to emphasize the run game. Well, why do you say that? Because Ohio State, for the first time this year, showed a vulnerability last week. And it wasn't just the fact that they settled for field goals on a lot of those short fields, although that is a vulnerability. They didn't run the ball very well. See, coming into this game last week against Iowa for the Buckeyes, this was a rushing attack that was one of the better rushing attacks in all of college football. They were a balanced offense. It's what made them so difficult to defend. And then all of a sudden, they show up and they go 30 attempts for 66 yards. Yikes. That's not very good. Here, let's create an analogy. That was like a really one-sided heavyweight boxing prize fight where we know the outcome, you know, yeah, like this guy's going to win, the favored guy's going to win, he's the number one, you know, he's the champ, all this thing. And yet there was a couple of moments where it's like the contender like throws an uppercut and it's like, whoa, it's like an eyebrow raise, right? It's like the first time. Did Did that cut him? Did that cut the champ? Like, was there, we haven't seen that. You know, when you see Tyson's head get get thrown backwards by Buster Douglas early in that fight. Now, again, Douglas won that in an upset, so it's not a clean analogy, but you get what I'm saying. It's the first eyebrow raise of the season for Ohio State. It's like, wait, you can stop that running game? So why did I start with Penn State's defense? Because you have to stop Ohio State's rushing attack. And they're going to have to improve from what they have been over the last two weeks. They've got to fully commit to stopping that running attack. You might say, well, no, Joel, you you allow them to, you know, run the football and you've got to focus on, on slowing down their passing attack. But that's not the blueprint for how teams have beat Ohio State. If you look at the blueprint, you go back to last year and you look at what Oregon did and you look at what Michigan did. It's both of those games played out eerily similar. Okay, and one of them is is that you make Ohio State one-dimensional by stopping their run and then the style of game in which you put them in because you can run the football. Okay, so now we go to the style of game that Penn State has to play in order to win this game even at home. 
Oregon last year in that ball game and that win over Ohio State had 269 yards running the football over seven yards per carry and three touchdowns. They dominated the game, but it wasn't just the domination of the game. It was also controlling the game. They dictated the entire style of the game. So that's number one. Michigan did the exact same thing, 297 yards on the ground, 7.2 yards per carry, and six touchdowns. They controlled the game. They dictated the style with which the game was going to be played. What's the next thing that Oregon and Michigan both did? They tackled really well in space. Okay, so they did not allow, whether it's the running backs for Ohio State or those wide receivers, to get the ball into their hands and then create big plays after the catch. Um, long runs, explosive plays. They tackled them, lined up, made them snap it again. Each of them did this. It takes length and athleticism in the back end to do that. Michigan had it last year. Oregon had it last year. And by the way, Penn State, they do a good job of this. They do a good job of this. So that's one of the areas that they're going to have to play well. And then the third area that both of those teams had, Oregon and Michigan, they played really great in the red zone. So they were forcing Ohio State at times to settle for field goals rather than score touchdowns. Coming into last week, Ohio State was one of the best, albeit the best, team in the country in terms of converting red zone trips into touchdowns. And then Iowa forced them into field goals. Now, it didn't matter in the end. They still blew their doors off. But you've got to do that if you're going to beat this Ohio State team. And Penn State, by the way, did this really well last year in Columbus against the Buckeyes. In fact, Ohio State last year had six trips inside the red zone. They only scored one touchdown and kicked four field goals, came up empty on one of their trips. So Penn State's going to have to duplicate that if they want to win this game. It's a very clean blueprint. What did I just lay out for you? Number one, you've got to dominate on the ground. So the Penn State defense cannot allow the Ohio State offense to dictate the tempo and style of the game with their run game. And then in turn, Penn State's going to have to run it really well with their young backs. That's what Oregon did. That's what Michigan did. The length and, and, and athleticism at the second and third level for Ohio, uh, Penn State's defense, guys like Joey Porter, Kalen King, they've got to play great, and in particular in one area, which is tackling in space. When you do that, you limit explosives. You limit the long touchdowns. When you limit the long touchdowns, then Ohio State has to go into the red zone. When they go into the red zone, that's then the third bullet point. You've got to stop them and force them to kick field goals. All right, so that's the blueprint right there. Penn State, maybe they've got it, maybe they don't. I believe it's all in the rushing game because I do think they've got the defensive backs, and I do think that they can play the requisite red zone defense. What I don't know is can they control the game on the ground with their offensive running attack, and can they stop Ohio State's rushing attack, in particular with the way that they've played over the last couple of weeks. Again, I'm calling the game. I'm not going to give a pick. Uh, Ohio State favored on the road by 15.5 in Happy Valley. All right, next ball game. Michigan State at number four, Michigan. So this is obviously a juicy rivalry, but it's not as juicy when the spread is 22 and a half. <laughs> Michigan's favored by 22 and a half. And yet Sparty, when you look online, man, they're feeling this matchup and all the memes have been out. And maybe Spartan fans know that these are the last few days that they're going to be able to do that before, you know, it's going to be like, hey, you know, scoreboard. Because I can tell you this right now, Michigan's beaten Michigan State on Saturday. 
I, I understand that they've lost the last two years, and Mel Tucker has done an excellent job. First, the COVID year, a game I called, and they were able to beat them in uh, Michigan Stadium, and that COVID year was a disaster for the Wolverines. Last year, in Spartan Stadium, they went up there, the Wolverines did, and got beat their first loss of the year in a battle of undefeateds. It was an epic game, epic game. Guess what? Kenneth Walker ain't there anymore, and he's not walking through those doors. All he's doing is on his way to maybe win the Rookie of the Year in the National Football League. That's how well he's playing for the Seattle Seahawks. And without him, Michigan State doesn't have an identity. They don't have the eraser, right? I called him the eraser last year because their defense was pitiful, in particular in terms of their pass defense. And he was the eraser because he could control the game on the ground. He could create big plays. He was explosive. And offensively, that's where everything was built, right? That's what everything ran through was Kenneth Walker. He's not there anymore. That offense is not very good. The defense is still not very good. And they're a shell of what they were a year ago. This team, I get it. They, they, they beat Wisconsin, but... This is not a team that's going to go in there and beat Michigan this week. In particular, when Michigan clearly has their entire focus trained on the Spartans. You think 0-2 in the last two years doesn't have their attention? You know it's got their attention. You know it's got their attention. This Michigan State team, by the way, gives up more yards per play than they gain. Like It's not a very good team. This is not a team that's just lost some close games. This is a team that is not very good this year. They cannot run it at all against power five competition in fact they're running it for 2.3 yards per carry against power five competition that's not going to get it done in particular when you're going up against a team that's really good on defense and really good on offense they're michigan in the top 10 in both scoring defense and scoring offense top six i'll even say it third in the country in scoring d six in the country in scoring offense they're third in the power five in rough rushing offense this is not a game that I think that all of a sudden, because it's a rivalry, you throw out the records and all of a sudden Mel Tucker pulls an ace out of his sleeve. I don't. That's not happening. This Michigan team seems too focused. They're coming off of a bye. There's not the look-ahead situation. I think they've got the full attention of the Wolverines, and they're at home. That's a difficult place to play, even though the Spartans won there in the COVID year. I'm picking Michigan. I want to go over the 22 and a half, but I know that that's a lot. If they control the game on the ground like I think they can, they will go over that. The The problem with the spread that big for Michigan is that Michigan doesn't care about blowing people out, right? Like Jim Har Harbaugh doesn't care if he scores 55 or 35. All he cares about is winning. I think the evidence of that was the way that they played in the offensive game plan in Kinnick against Iowa earlier this year. All they were going to do is not turn the ball over. Right, and, and I think this game is going to be similar to that. Their blueprint will be just get the W. That's why I'm a little bit leery of that 22.5, but rest assured, Michigan is winning that game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, next up. Florida versus number one, Georgia. So this is also a huge spread. Um, Georgia favored by 23. 
in this neutral site affair. And that's where I'll start. So it's neutral site, but you heard Kirby Smart this week talk about, I don't know, you know, I don't know what it means for Gainesville. I don't know what it means for Jacksonville. I don't know what it means for Athens. Let me just be on the record uh, for saying this. I believe that college football games should be played on campus. There's only two college football games that I really firmly believe should be played in a neutral site. And I'm talking about regular season games, okay? I understand about conference championship games, and I even understand about, like, obviously, bowls and then moving forward in the playoffs, although I'll get to that in a moment. Neutral site games, to me, I just I don't love them. I played in them. We played Colorado State down in, in Mile High and in, in Denver. I liked playing on campus. I like going to campus. I want to see teams have a home field advantage and have to go on the road and get tested. I think that's better for the sport, to be quite honest with you. Part of what makes college football so unique and so great is the organic nature of it. And part of the organic nature of it is that we don't go to stale corporate environments. The environments are amazing, right? It's it's like going home and, and I like it on campus. now. You can disagree and you can say that it's great in Jacksonville. The, the two games that I believe should and will stay neutral site moving forward are Red River between Oklahoma and Texas. And it's because of the unique element of the state fair and they're not in an NFL stadium. And then Army-Navy because Army-Navy is one of my favorite games of all time. And that one's just pure Americana. I want both sides. I want the cadets of each there. I want the flyovers. I want the march in. I want it all, right? Like that that one clearly to me is a neutral. I think uh, Red River, clearly a neutral. Everything else in the regular season should be played on campus, and I think this one is in that same boat. Now, some disagree. That's fine. As it pertains to the game, Florida has lost seven of their last eight in the SEC, and Richardson has been a shell of what he was against Utah ever since then. He just doesn't throw the ball well. Right, He turns it over too much. He's only got six touchdowns to seven interceptions. And because of that, I just have a really hard time believing that Florida's going to be able to jump enough offense against this Georgia defense to win the game. I think Georgia's going to win this one, and they're going to win it pretty handily. Georgia, since that, I don't know what you want to call it, snafu, right? Um, uh, what, what do you want to call it? Since their poor play against Missouri, they've been outstanding. In the last two games, they've been absolutely dominant. They have been what we would require out of the number one team in the country. They have beaten, albeit not great teams, Auburn and Vandy, but they've done exactly what they should do in those two games. They've outgained them 1,079 to 407. They've outscored them well over 90 to like 10. The defense is playing really well. In fact, right now, their scoring defense is at a better mark than what they finished the year last year with, and they had all of those draft picks last year. The Florida defense gave up 45 points and 528 yards to LSU. This is not a particularly close game. I just don't think Florida is that good. Maybe the rivalry aspect of this allows them to play better, but this is a game that Georgia is going to win and win handily. Now, I will say, I do think Florida is going to cover the 23 because that's a huge number. That's a huge number. And in a rivalry game, I just feel like they will play better than I expect them to play. So I think Florida covers the 23, but Georgia wins comfortably, probably right there at that 20-21 mark, maybe a three-touchdown game. Maybe Florida sneaks one in late and ends up covering that 23. All right, next up. Number 19, Kentucky at number three, Tennessee. 
So this is a classic look ahead. And and by the way, I should have mentioned that also for Georgia because we, we are on the eve, right? The weekend eve of what is becoming kind of this season's game of the century, at least early in the season, because clearly the Michigan-Ohio State game late, I think is going to be the marquee uh, game of the year. Tennessee is favored by 13. Um, Tennessee beat this Kentucky team a year ago. It was a close game. And there's some interesting elements to this game that I think that you will agree with me. Number one, Kentucky, ninth in the country in scoring defense. Well, that's interesting because I I know that Tennessee's not great on defense. So is there a path to a Will Levis, Hendon Hooker shootout? I think that that's possible. I think that that's possible. Levis played really well against this team, Tennessee team, a year ago. And Tennessee, in turn, was one of the more successful teams in last season, during last season, and throwing the ball against Kentucky. Hinden Hooker threw it for 316 yards in that game against Kentucky. There was only one other team that threw for more yards against the Wildcat, and that was Mississippi State. And so you have to kind of throw that out because remember, just the sheer volume of what Mike Leach is going to throw out there. Just to give you a sense, like Tennessee was throwing it for like, I think well over 14 yards per attempt to get that 316 yards, while Mississippi State was down in like the eight, eight and a half yards per attempt. So it, it, it was just a different style of game, and that's kind of obvious with Mike Leach. So you could say that Tennessee was the most successful team throwing the ball against this Kentucky defense. This will probably continue. Why? Well, because that was really the first game that gave Hendon Hooker a lot of confidence. It was the first game at Tennessee in which he threw for over 300 yards. He had thrown for 300 yards before in his career, but only once, and it was a game against Virginia uh, back before he had transferred. So now you've got this success that he gets, and it's really the first game that he has that success as the quarterback of the Vols. And since then, this volunteer team has really taken off. I believe that that was a game that really – sparked something within that program, within Hendon Hooker, within the coaching staff. Since then, they're 9-2. and two. He's had four 300-yard uh, games since, and they're sitting there with a win over Alabama, and they're on the weekend eve of the biggest game in Tennessee history back to, shoot, the national championship game uh, with T. Martin. That's where I think it is. Now, Tennessee is favored by 13. I think that's a big number. I think that's a big number because – Kentucky does enough on defense, even though Hooker has had the success. And Will Levis has some history of playing well against this Tennessee team. So I think the 13 is too big of a number, but Tennessee is going to win the game. Remember, it's got the look-ahead deal. There's some elements here that even at home, I don't know if they're going to play you know, out of sight like they have in other games, in particular throwing the ball. But Tennessee is going to win. They're going to set up that matchup for next week. But I think Kentucky covers the 13. All right, next up. Number nine, Oklahoma State at number 22, Kansas State. So this one's weird for me because Kansas State's favored by one and a half. Um, that's wild. That's wild. Why is that wild? Well, I don't know who's going to start at quarterback for Kansas State. So that's one. Is it going to be Will Howard? Is it going to be Adrian Martinez? Is it going to be the, the Rubley kid? I, I mean... They have questions at the most important position on the field. And Oklahoma State doesn't. Oklahoma State has had much more success recently, in particular in league play, than Kansas State. 
they've got a quarterback in Spencer Sanders that is playing pretty well. I think that this is an acknowledgement that Oklahoma State is just absolutely decimated by injury right now. They, yes, won the game against Texas, but they got out of there, and it's just like, who's going to be available? It's a mash unit on both sides of the ball. And I think that this line reflects that fact. If I'm looking at this from a perspective of what does Kansas State need to do to win, to beat Oklahoma State? Because I think Oklahoma State should be the favored team. I think that they're probably going to win the game. What's the path for Kansas State? Well, even if Adrian Martinez plays, he's got this knee issue. And even if he plays, he's not going to be the same quarterback. And this is not a guy that has been hurting you with his arm. It's been his legs. So what does that leave for the Wildcats? Even if their quarterback is in, Deuce Vaughn has to be great. And they've been limiting his touches over the last couple of weeks because he got banged up. I believe it was against Iowa State he got banged up. But as he gets healthier, they're going to need to up his touches. So in the last two games, Deuce Vaughn has had 28 touches offensively. This feels like a game where if they're going to win, he's going to need 28 touches just in this game. Somewhere in that 18, 19, 20 carries and then eight catches. He's a game changer. Don't get me wrong. He's I think he's the the I think he's one of my favorite players in in the country. I hope he plays for a long time, but he's going to need to be fantastic fantastic for this Kansas State team. Meanwhile on the other side, Spencer Sanders will play, right? Mike Gundy has a track record in particular on the offensive side. This is a team that is doing really well offensively. They're third in the in the nation in scoring offense right like they, they can put the ball in the end zone and I think that they win on the road which means that that's a winner for Oklahoma State because Kansas State is favored by one and a half so that's where I'm going there in the Big 12 and by the way the winner of that game sets them up sets themselves up beautifully to be in the Big 12 championship game remember now they would have basically a two-game lead against the other team and they're the only two teams in the league that only have one loss in league play. Okay, so TCU is sitting there undefeated. They're in a great spot to go to the championship game. And then the winner of this game, likely going to face them. So we're getting some clarity in this Big 12 race as we get the top two teams in that Big 12 championship game. All right, uh, last one. Here we go. Number eight, Oregon at Cal. Oregon's favored by 18 against Cal. I mean, I get it. In, in some senses, I get it, right? It's like you you – Look at what they did a week ago, which was amazing. And I've been singing Oregon's praises, by the way, and, and rightly so. That's a really good football team. But this line seems like too much to me. Why does it seem like too much? Well, two reasons, really. Number one, they're coming off of that really emotional high of beating UCLA last week in that great environment at home in a game in which everything went right for them. Bo Nix played his best game. They get an onside kick. They forced UCLA into field goals when UCLA was driving. Like, so they did. Yeah, listen, you give them credit, and I have, and I will. But they did everything right in that game, and it's an emotional win, and they get it done. And now they've got to go on the road to what I would categorize as a sleepy environment and face a Cal team that they historically struggle with. This is ripe for a letdown game. This one is ripe. 18 is too much. I just feel like it is. Now, I might be wrong, and Oregon may have turned the corner and might just take off and become dominant. But think of the last three years. Last year, Oregon only beat Cal by seven. Two years ago in the COVID year, the last time they went to Berkeley, 
Oregon actually lost to this Cal team. And in 2019, they were in kind of a, a, a dogged, low-scoring slugfest 17-7. So again, nothing suggests that, to me at least, that all of a sudden you're going to get an Oregon team go in there on the road and blow out Cal. I think Justin Wilcox do, does too good of a job on the defensive side, and I think that Oregon is ripe for that letdown environment after everything went right and they won last week in the emotional home field advantage um, over UCLA. By the way, trap game, Colorado's up next. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. That's that's probably not a factor. But I do think it's a factor that they're playing a team in Cal that can play decent defense, in particular against them, and I don't think that they're going to play quite as crisp as what they did a week ago. So Oregon at 18, I think that's too much. And if you're following along, I like a lot of dogs. I like a lot of dogs. Oh, I don't know if I like picking a lot of underdogs in college football. Vegas usually knows a lot better than me, but that's where my thoughts are at. That's where my thoughts are at. Thank you so much for listening to this program. Remember, go subscribe and uh, rate and review us. Share it with a friend because I love doing this show, and I'm really thankful that you all uh, enjoy listening to it. I'm Joel Klatt. You can follow me on Twitter at Joel Klatt. You can follow the show at Joel Klatt Show, and you can get all of this content in smaller uh, clips on all those social media platforms. That'll do it for me. Remember, this Saturday, big noon Saturday, in Happy Valley as Ohio State takes on Penn State in the uh, big noon Saturday game of the week. Gus, Jenny, and I will be there. Thank you for listening, everybody. Enjoy a great weekend of college football.